Well, friends, uh, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, let us turn to the prophet Jonah, or Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. We will be in verses 4 to 6 this morning. And I must say, it is one of the most astounding passages I have prepared a sermon from to date. One of, not the, but one of. We shall see together as we study together. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This is the word of God, my friends. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid, lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, give us understanding through your word. Give us understanding of your word through your spirit. And help us to not be distracted, to not sleep, to not be bored by the word of God, to not be preoccupied by lunch or anything else help us to to stay upon your word help us to take heed and i pray this morning that somebody's life today may be changed by this sermon that the christian would be sanctified and the non-believer may it be that he or she may be amongst us this morning may believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that today may be their day of salvation, that they may cling cling to the cross. Help me to articulate what you have helped me prepare in the most easiest, simplest of ways, but profound. Help me to be clear. Keep me from error. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was once a man who was at the top of his game. He was in his prime, king of the manor, the adoration of many, beaming with affluence and influence, such that there was never any suspicion whatsoever that things would go wrong. 
Haven't you ever met anyone like that? Any people like that? Where everything seems to be going so well that they don't look like they are going to fall. That they don't look like they are capable of doing something so damaging. Well, this man, when others were at war, stayed at home whilst he was at Sorry, stayed at home and whilst he was idling at the top of a roof, he saw a woman bathing. He sent people to bring her to him and the rest was history. He slept with the woman, he didn't rape her, instigated the murder of her husband. They lost the baby they had together and things just came crumbling or tumbling down. Now, if you're with us last time in the book of Jonah, we saw many a lesson from verse 1 to 3. A lesson on disobedience as far as Jonah is concerned. How God gave him a clear command to go to Nineveh and call them out for their evil. But Jonah instead went to Tarshish. He arose. To go far away in attempt to escape a holy God. In attempt to go against the clear command of God. And friends, even before we go anywhere, you understand where my warning is coming from as we go on. I think there's a warning warranted for us today, this morning. That life is not a game. Every single decision you make in this life has outcomes. And these are what we call consequences. We need to take life serious. It's not a game. We're not in... For, uh, what do they call it? 3D. You know those games that people put glasses or whatever it is? I've never played them. But we're not in that world. We're in real life. And so we should take life seriously. And so the title of my sermon today is The Consequences of Disobedience. The Consequences of Disobedience. And we'll see it in this text Firstly, we'll see from verse 4 that the consequences of disobedience are often prompt. Prompt just means fast, quick, immediate. Let us look at the word of God together as we study. Let's be Bereans. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, friends, we see here that the consequences of sin are often prompt. This means that there are some consequences of sin that are immediate. In this Christian life, you won't get away with sin for very long. It will rear its ugly head so often as consequences. 
We see from the beginning of the verse that there was a response from God to Jonah's disobedience. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Creator of heaven and earth now uses his creation, now uses the wind in a way or as a way to punish Jonah's actions and astoundingly this affects even the pagans that were on the boat. It highlights that disobedience to God is usually responded to by God quickly. We see for example in Genesis 6 onwards What happened? There was chaos on this earth. The Lord God regretted creating mankind because mankind was continually evil from his youth. And what did God do? He sent a flood quickly. Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, a swift destruction of a city in sin. And friends, no sooner is a man who regularly visits the spots of the ladies of the night, no sooner will he be buried from the disease that he contracted from. There is consequences to sin. Yes, one may be forgiven in Christ, but the consequences of their sin would have killed them. You can die from the consequences of sin. Dead, buried, underground. That's why we should take life seriously. No sooner do you give room for any sort of stealing at the workplace, no sooner do you plunge yourself into an abyss of progressive stealing. Do you think that the people who are stealing a million dollars right now. Do you think that they didn't start with stealing a lollipop? It started with a lollipop. It started with, okay, I'm by them seeker there. Mother, let me just do this. That's how it starts. Usually you just say, ah, you know, it's just harmless. It's just harmless. If maybe you go to your child there. And your child is stealing, you're just watching as the mother. Ah, no, it's okay. They're growing. (laughs) They're growing. Where did it start? But we see, secondly, friends, in this text, that the way God hurled the wind is in a way to describe that the consequences of disobedience are sometimes the way in which God disciplines his sheep. I call that scars of iniquity. Uh, John MacArthur, in one of his latest interviews on homosexuality, he tells a story of a man who is 70 years of age, who calls and picks up the call and says, uh, uh, you know, Brother John MacArthur, thank you so much for preaching against this. I was steeped in homosexuality for 30 years. 30 years. And I just 
have to read and meditate upon the word of God more and more so that the devil may not ensnare me again. I still have the, the, the temptations to fall back. There, there's never a day that passes that I do not think about my days in sin. Thank you for your ministry. Continue speaking to those people. Continue preaching, Dr. John MacArthur. If they leave you, continue standing. Just as people are leaving him now, that's a story for another day. He continues to preach the gospel. But the point is that don't you see how this sort of plays out? The consequences of disobedience are painful, but at the same time, God uses those consequences as a way to discipline his children, as a way to bring back the lost sheep, as a way to remind the lost sheep that I am God and there's no other, as a way to remind them of their own folly, the folly of their own hearts. As a way to say, listen, whenever you get to the top of the mountain, remember from whence you came. Remember from whence I brought you, dear friend. Oh, that the Lord will help us. A lot of us here have gotten into things and later realized, you know what? <clears throat> I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have. But God sovereignly, though you think you can flee from him or fool him, has raised a tempest in your life, has raised a storm in your life, such that your boat was nearly breaking. Listen to John Kelvin as he comments on this. The tempest arose, he's talking about the wind, not by chance, but by the certain purpose of God, so that being overtaken on the sea, he acknowledged that he had been deceived when he thought that he could flee away from God's presence by passing over the sea. God used Jonah's situation to bring glory to himself and to discipline Jonah. <clears throat> so you may ask me, Pastor, what should I do then? What shall I do? What can I do? What are you saying? It seems like this is unavoidable. It seems as if I... What, how do I respond to the consequences of sin? Because they are consequences. Number one, application, obedience is better than sacrifice. First Samuel, chapter 5, verse 22. Rather obey God's word than suffer the consequences. Rather obey. Dear Christian, you are free in Christ to obey God. It is not legalism for us to ask you to obey the word. Obey. Take heed. Listen. Stay upon the word. 
Discipline yourself accordingly by the word of God. Number two, abstain from sin. Do you know that the Bible actually teaches abstinence? First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The Bible teaches abstinence. Stay away. That's what it says. We always talk about, oh, you know, the cross will keep me from sin. Yes, it will. But what about responsibility? What about your own personal responsibility? Abstain from sin. If you know that you're tempted in a certain way, not only sexual, sexual immorality, flee. Abstain. <clears throat> Abstain from indulging. Beat your body into submission. <laughs> Thirdly, flee. Flee from sin. Obedience, abstinence, fleeing. Flee from sin. And friends, I implore you this morning that run for your lives from anything that you know is sin. Run. Run. That if there's anything that you can learn in this sermon today, run away from sin. But we see that Jonah didn't try to flee sin. He tried to flee God. <laughs> he tried to flee from God. I want us to see secondly, that the disobedience, the consequences of disobedience, cause panic. They cause panic. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. All right? And each cried out to his God. And they hurled. In fact, let me just stop there. The mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea. To lighten it for them. Friends, we see that the mariners... Or the people who were with Jonah in the boat were panic-stricken. They, they, they definitely would have been used to storms, but every one of the storms came in different shapes and forms. So they cried out to their gods. <clears throat> have you ever noticed in life that when there is some sort of suffering, Either from first causes, from God directly, or from secondary causes, God working through something, in this case, another person has caused chaos, people start calling out to anything and everything they lay their eyes on or even anything that their voices can reach they just shout or say something into the atmosphere all those things that's what they say they, they were in panic mode because somebody's sin had caused the chaos they were in <clears throat> 
Listen to what one, one commentator says. He says, each individual on board would have had his own family and city gods. In addition, there was an entire hierarchy of protecting spirits, patron deities, lower echelon gods and goddesses, and senior members of the pantheon. This would suggest that they called out to the gods to invoke their family-level deities who will in turn petition their divine superiors and eventually influence the god responsible for the storm or who has been offended. These people remind me of Africa. What are we talking about on Friday? that they worshipped multiple deities. And there they are, panic-stricken. Maybe they don't even worship these deities. Maybe they do. Maybe they take them seriously. Maybe they don't. But the point is, there was panic. And I'll apply it, really, I'll bring it to ourselves just now. But in retrospect, they didn't know that they had received one who had offended the one and true God in their presence. And friends, it is, it is at, this uh, at this opportunity that I take to make the comment that many a time, as the church of God, we suffer so many diverse things in so many diverse ways because we have in our presence and we have accepted those who have offended God. Or we have amongst us those who are presently living in damaging sin. Who call themselves Christians? Hi brother, grace and peace. How are you doing? I'm fine. But in Behind the scenes, where no one is watching, in the darkness, they're living in sin. And what happens? It causes panic and confusion in the church. Their sin affects the congregation. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I hope you see this in the text. And I would say, friends, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Each and every one of us here. We are Christians. If we are Christians, let us watch our lives. Because we can think, well, you know, brother, I'm forgiven in Christ. And nothing can happen to me, even if I just touch a bit. And I'll tell you, you haven't read the Bible. You haven't seen life. You haven't been burnt by sin. But we see in verse 5, amidst the, the panic of, of, of disobedience, we see in, in part B, listen, look at the word of God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. For them. 
So these people were in panic. They called out to their gods. Nothing happened. So they said, well, let's, let's take the baggage out of the sea and lighten the boat. Maybe things will be better. But listen to what a commentator said. They thought that the ship was weighed down by its wanted lading. And they knew not that the whole weight was that of the fugitive prophet. The sailors cast forth their wares, but the ship was not lightened, for the whole weight still remained. The body of the prophet, the, that heavy burden, not from the nature of the body, but from the burden of sin. <laughs> I hope you see the picture. So beautiful. For nothing is so onerous and heavy as sin and disobedience. That's the argument. He's saying these people were, were panicking. <coughs> they did not know what to do. They wanted to lighten the ship. They wanted to remove the baggage, thinking that is the one that was weighing down the ship. But the problem was at the bottom inside. Jonah, he was the problem. And that's friends, I would apply to you and the application will help us understand. Perhaps your disobedience has affected the church of Christ. Perhaps your conduct has tainted the witness of Christ amongst pagans and such that that's why you're afraid to evangelize. You're afraid because you know, oh, I've been messing around with those people. Perhaps you're trying to lighten the load, but it won't be lightened because you're not going to God. You're trying by, by your works, you know. You know, you meet these people who tell you, Pastor, I'm trying, I'm trying to change. And I'll say, stop trying and run to Christ. Because Christ says in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, this is the uh, KJV, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. That's what Christ says. I will refresh you. Fourthly, Perhaps you are here and you don't know the true living God. And you call out to all sorts of deities and worthless gods, to ancestors, to Mary, to Magaya, to Makandiwa. And hear the infallible words of scripture as they come to you. Isaiah 45:22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Don't run to deities. Don't run to self-help mechanisms to lighten the load. Don't, don't try to go to sangomas. They won't help you. Shrinks won't help you. Therapists won't help you. You may say, well, pastor, you know, you're against therapy. Ah, this is backward. 
Show me someone who's been helped by a therapist and they've really come out of their struggle. Really, really come out. <laughs> you need the blood of Christ. You need the gospel. You need God. I want us to see thirdly, because I've got four points, that the consequences of disobedience make people try to hide from problems. Verse 5b, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Friends, here we see that spiritual slumber can cause one to hide from problems. And we see how Jonah went and slept. How he slept in the middle of the storm and the middle of problems and chaos may point to the fact that he either was trying to hide from the storm or that he was so worried by what he had done that indeed when he slept, he fell into a deep sleep. One which spiritually only God could awaken him from. Listen to a commentator. It says, a pagan ship was a strange place for the prophet of God. Not as a prophet, but as a fugitive. And so probably ashamed of what he had completed, he had withdrawn from sight and notice. He did not embolden himself in his sin, but shrank into himself. And listen to the last part. The conscience most commonly awakes when the sin is done. You know it. You're a human being. You've been through it. It is only after... Oh, oh. I'm convicted, you know. I'm convicted. That's why sometimes pagans, non-believers, like laughing at Christians because they say, ah, you know, these are withdrawal symptoms. When you tell them, hey, you know what? I messed up. I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Like, ah, these are withdrawal symptoms. You go back. Ah, it's okay. It's okay. It's normal. But it's the conscience. The Holy Spirit working, bringing into remembrance the Word of God. Say, no, 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 no. You're not work, walking accordingly. Another commentator says, as he's commenting on Jonah being fast asleep, probably quite exhausted and overcome with distress, which in many cases terminates in, in a deep sleep. So the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. Remember the disciples. Jesus comes with the disciples into the garden. Says, I'm in turmoil because of what he's about to go through. Says, stay here whilst I pray. Stay, stay and watch. Keep watch. Be attentive. And he goes and they sleep. 
There's something about sleep there that you should catch, even as we go on. Sleeping. But I noticed something quite remarkable here. That we see that Christ is the greater Jonah. Because Christ also slept in the boat in the New Testament. When there was a storm. As the disciples panicked. But guess what? Christ did not sleep of slumber from sin. But he, it was a sleep of sovereignty. And that Jesus could stop the storm. And Jonah couldn't. So all of those who say, oh, Jonah was a great man. Be Jonah. Go and preach the word of God to villagers. As a weak and pathetic man, just like you and I. And it is possible, friends, that in the midst of the chaos that you have caused, either in your own life or in the life of others, that you could go to sleep and think that you can get away with it. And you hear people say, ah, well, it will be all right. No, it won't. There are consequences. There are consequences to disobedience. That's what we learn from the scripture. <clears throat> and our friends, I hope we're taking in this word. I want us to see fourthly. That the consequences of disobedience from verse 4, sorry, from verse 6, can be permanent. Can be permanent. Where do we see this? So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? This is a pagan. <laughs> sort of reaching out to a, someone who's meant to be a prophet of God. Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. I'm interested in that phrase, perish. This statement shows that the pagans did see that whatever was happening would cause them to perish. And here we see that the consequences of disobedience can be permanent and can cause one to perish. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. The worker of iniquity deserves death. But the free gift of God... So, there is... the. Uh, the, the sort of foundational statement, the wages of sin is death. There's the contrast. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The worker of iniquity will die. The worker of iniquity deserves to die. How about that? But guess what? 
there's a better way. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So this would even say to us, you may be sitting here saying, well, Pastor, I've done so many things in life. There are so many things that I'm even doing now. And I would say, flee to Christ continually. Run to Christ, run to Christ, run to Christ. Obey, 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 obey. But there are some consequences that you will live with for the rest of your life. They are there. It could be the fact that maybe you spent a whole 20 years as a porn addict. And listen, I never doubt that God can completely wash you from that. He can. But there are consequences. The consequences are that maybe you, you may not be able to sit in a room full of uh, scantily clad women for long, you might have to flee. So the consequences. The consequences are, are that maybe you might have to once in a while get rid of your smartphone, detoxification, because if you stay too long online, you will fall. Maybe you're a thief in the past. The consequences are that you might not be allowed to keep money with you, large sums of money, because the temptation is so hard, is so high. The consequences to sin. It's unavoidable. And each and every one of us has different struggles that you and I don't know, but in our ignorance, we may stumble one another in those ways. Because we don't know. We don't know. Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. end is the way of death. Dear friends, the Bible does not encourage us to sin, so I won't encourage us to sin. The Bible teaches that there are consequences to sin. And we need to face them head on. What do you mean, you sleeper? He was being called out by pagan on his slumber, on his sin. Look at the witness. Arise, call out your God. The pagan unknowingly doesn't know that this person is not an Israelite. Says, call out your deity. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish because we are in trouble. Friends, worse than the consequences of disobedience that we have to live with, as some are lifelong, there is the reality of hell. There is the reality of eternal separation from God. 
and eternal torment, such that one will burn and perish forever. As Jesus often says in the gospel accounts, there there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is not a place to desire. You hear people say, I want to go to hell. You don't know what you're saying. There'll be torment. And sadly, many people find out about hell beyond the grave. When they've entered, that's when they start saying, oh, I should have listened to the glad tidings from that young, gracious woman who came smiling at me one Sunday afternoon. I should have listened to that preacher, although I didn't like him, or I didn't like what he said. I should have listened because he was pleading with me to believe in the gospel, to believe in Christ, to turn away from sin. Maybe, friends, this is your last year on this earth. It may be your last Sunday service. We don't know when the end is coming. We don't know when when we will die. Here tomorrow, here today, gone tomorrow. We shouldn't be presumptuous about the future. Oh, that you would see the light of salvation in Jesus. For the Christian, the encouragement that I have for you is that see these consequences as scars of iniquity and the grace of God in your life. May they remind you of where he has brought you from. There's nothing that you can do to blot them out sometimes. Rather sit at the feet of Christ and listen. <laughs> listen. Because we know that no one will be damned to hell because of consequences. But we know that there are people who will be damned to hell because of unbelief, living in sin. Remember Peter, the word of encouragement to end. I know it's been a tough sermon. He denied Christ three times. Christ said, Peter, Petros, you will deny me three times. It's like, no, 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 no. Jesus, I would. I would, you know, go to the ends of the world for you. But he did deny Christ three times. There were consequences to that. Consequences that our Savior was crucified and that Peter had guilt. He was ravaged by guilt. And that's why I believe that in John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17... Yes, it's a commission 
for Peter to love the church of Christ, but I think that it's a word of comfort when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? It's comforting. Do you love me even though you deny me? Peter's just like, ah, I love you. I love you. I love you. Like, Peter, do you love me? Ah, I don't know. Ah, I love you. Peter, do you phileo me? We see, friends, that there's a second chance in Christ, despite the consequences of sin. Sadly, there wasn't a second chance for Judas. Because he was a son of perdition and was raised up for destruction. Peter had a second chance. But remember the narrative I told you in the beginning. It was about David. David was eventually forgiven though he had to live with the consequences of sin. He lost the kingdom. The baby died. After sexual sin, he plummeted. Messed his whole life up. He is forgiven. Yes, a man after God's own heart. Yes, Psalm 51. Created me a, a clean heart. The, the one that we usually go to when we are in sin and we want God to forgive us. Yes, David did all those things. Wrote many psalms. He was a man of the gods. But there were consequences to the way he lived. So friends, dear friends, this morning, I implore you, think about what you're about to do. Think about it. And ask yourself, is it worth it to triple my consequences? To quadruple? I'm already struggling as it is. I'm already struggling with guilt. So help me God. <laughs>